The first of our of the following Bible readings is from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. In Jeremiah 10, verses 1 to 5, we read concerning God and idols. Hear what the Lord says to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations, or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his, his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails, so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot walk. To the second of our Bible readings, to 1 Peter Chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. So in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, we read in relation to suffering for doing good. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Would you please turn with me now to Psalm 115. In your blue Bibles, it's on page 604. On your brown Bible, it's on page 572. Reading Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. O house of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, 
both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do ask and pray as we come around your word now that you do bless us. Father, will you speak to our hearts and our minds and our wills. Father, will you encourage us in our faith? Will you draw us closer to yourself? And Father, might this be a time of blessed praise to your glorious name. We ask this now for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Christians face this question today. Look around you. See what's happening in the world. Where is your God in all of this? Or if there really is a God, what is he like? And why can he let this happen? Or let's make it more personal. You're a Christian. How come you're having such a hard time? These are amazingly common questions. The Jews faced this challenge when they returned to their land from captivity in Babylon, which was probably when Psalm 115 was written. And you can read, read about them coming back in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now the Jews were a very weak remnant, faced with the enormous task of rebuilding their ruined temple, their walls and their city. A bit like Mission Impossible. So no wonder the Gentile nations mocked them. After all, didn't the Babylonian victory prove that the Gentile gods were stronger than Jehovah, the Jewish God? Now we can take this Psalm 115 and apply it to any time of trial in the life of the church or individual Christians because there will always be mockers. Sometimes we look around the world in our own country and the church seems so weak in this godless society. Very easy to get discouraged. Well, Psalm 115 is a great antidote to discouragement. It's a victory psalm. expresses great confidence in God. And this psalm challenges us to understand and to know what God is really like and to respond to him appropriately. And we'll see the psalmist makes four declarations about God in this psalm and invites us to respond to them. I'm going to spend more time on the first one and the third one, so just be aware of that. So let's begin with the first declaration. Verses 1 to 8. God is alive, our response. Glorify him. The temple's ruined. Jerusalem is a heap of rubble. The people demoralised. But our psalmist glorifies God. Why? Because of God's love and faithfulness. The Lord exiled them. The Lord brought them back. It's all due to him. No wonder he says in verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. You'll notice that the psalmist doesn't yield to the enemy's taunt about where is your God. He does just the opposite. He actually ridicules he mocks their heathen gods. And he does this very cleverly. And in filings, it's quite humorous. He does it by contrasting the dead idols made by men with the living God who made men. And he shows how worthless their idols are and the blessings the Gentiles miss because they don't worship the one true God. I want to look at these contrasts, see if we can get the full impact of what he's saying here. Let's begin. Verses 3 and 4. Their idols are on earth 
and they can't please themselves. Okay? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. In other words, he's sovereign. What about their idols? Made of silver and gold, made by the hands of men. Their idols were stuck on earth. They were idle. That's I-D-L-E. They might have been made of silver and gold, but how stupid to trust them. I mean, try and think it through logically. It's absolutely nonsensical, idiotic and insane to worship anything less than we are ourselves, to worship something that we've made. But that's what these foreign gods were actually like. Now see what the psalmist actually says about them. Verse 5 and verse 7. Their idols can't speak or even make sounds. They read, they have mouths but cannot speak, that is, they cannot communicate, nor can they utter utter a sound with their throats. Imagine worshipping a god who can't communicate with you. It would just be a waste of time. But God in heaven and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ desires and delights to communicate with us. He speaks to us in his creation. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. He speaks to us in his word. The word of the Lord is living and active. He speaks to us finally and completely in his Son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Imagine trying to live for and worship God if we had no Saviour, no scriptures and no spirit inside to teach us. It'd be totally impossible. Look at what else he says. Verse 5. Their idols give no protection. They have eyes, but they cannot see. God's eyes are on his children. As we read in 1 Peter chapter 3, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. If you trust in an idol, you've got to watch over it. can't even watch over itself. But God watches over his children 24-7. He who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. As we read in Psalm 121. Next, their idols hear no prayers in verse 6. They have ears, but they cannot hear. The priests of Baal found this out as they cried out to their deaf God all day on Mount Carmel when they tried to go against Elijah. He didn't hear them. God's ears are open to our cries and he hears us when we call to him. Again in 1 Peter chapter 3, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. God urges us to call on him. He delights in his children's prayers. The Christian life would be nothing without believing prayer. Also in verse 6, their idols receive no praise. They have noses, but they cannot smell. Now we know God doesn't have the physical organs of sense because God is spirit. But the Bible uses human comparisons to explain divine mysteries. This is the only way God can teach us about himself. And God's response to Noah's burnt offerings of praise was what? The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. It was pleasing to the Lord. You can give many sacrifices. He says, like to idols, they can't receive praise and they can't respond to praise. What else he says? Verse 7, their idols have no power. 
have hands but cannot feel. Heaven's sakes, God's fingers made the universe. Right? His arm is strong and mighty. We saw a couple of weeks ago that Christians are secure in God's hands where Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Idols can't do any of that. And then finally, in verse 7, their idols have no presence with their followers. They've got feet, but they cannot walk. Worshippers must come to their idols. In fact, they have to carry their idols, as we read in John in Jeremiah 10, verse 5. How different for us. Our God goes with us in every situation. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. Now I think these contrasts really hit the mark. God made everything. Man made idols. And here we pause. Because you say, well, that might be very interesting, Barry. That, that's terrific. But quite frankly, I've never made or worshipped idols. This has nothing to do with me. But actually, it has. Because anyone or anything that comes before God in our lives or takes the place of God in our lives is an idol. Anything or anyone. Could be a house. Might be car, could be the work, could be your stocks and shares, superannuation, marriage, superstition, crystals, relationship, pop movie or sports stars, humanism, evolution, statues of Buddha, whatever. Or trusting in our own supposed morality and respectability to please God. Anything and anyone that comes before God in our lives is an idol. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, once we were all idol worshippers. God said that you shall have no other gods before me. And we had plenty of them when we weren't Christians. We didn't put God first or seek after him. We were sinners wanting nothing to do with God. Now as Christians we're still sinners, but praise God now we're sinners saved by grace. And let's face it, even as Christians we still flirt with idols. We don't want to honour and obey God as we should. We can be very half-hearted in our discipleship. We can have a divided heart. We can get distracted. We can move away from God. We can do all sorts of things. We still flirt with idols. Sometimes we have so blithely said, I'm a Christian, when our lives show nothing of serving God but serving ourselves. When you're having lunch today, have a bit of a talk about it and see if you can think of some of the idols that might have crept into your life as Christians. You might be quite surprised. When I did the exercise, I was quite surprised and I wasn't very happy. Verse on goes on to make it very clear we become like the God we worship. Those who make them will be like them, we read, and so will all who trust in them. So if we worship lifeless idols, we become like them. We're blind to, to death to God's voice. We're powerless. In fact, actually, since man made the idol, he's actually worshipping worshiping himself. That's almost the ultimate idolatry. 
I mean, he's a self-made man, somebody once said about a proud person, and he worships his maker. And when you think about it, meism is alive and well. Almost every ad on television appeals to me, the most important person in the world. No, I'm actually not. You see, we all have a choice. Either worship and serve God who made us, or in the end, worship and serve ourselves. If we end up worshipping and serving ourselves, it will take us straight to hell. That's what happens with idolatry. But how different for Christians. The Bible tells us that we worship a risen saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're children of the living God, the temple of the living God. We're indwelt by the spirit of the living God and we're citizens of the city of the living God. Do you get the message? Our God is alive. When we understand or appreciate the God we worship is the true living God, how should we respond? We should glorify him. To your name be the glory. God is alive. Glorify him. Let's move on to the psalmist's second declaration. you find this in verses 9 to 11 of our psalm. I simply call this, God helps us. Our response, trust him. And in these verses, our psalmist addresses three groups telling them the same thing. Trust God, he's our help and shield. Now, I think that when God says and repeats himself three times, I think we should actually listen because it's obviously amazingly important. Firstly, Israel, psalmist says, you have every reason to trust God. Your history shows how faithful God is. His promises never fail, they never will. Secondly, he says, the house of Aaron, that is you priests and Levites, have you reason to trust God? You serve in the temple. You know God's your help and shield. And then we come to the third group, those who fear him, those who fear the Lord. This group may refer to Gentile God-fearers who often join the Jews in their worship. However, we can apply these words to anyone who fears God, anyone who worships God, that is, to Christians. Now, fearing God means that we love, we trust, honour and obey. But do we really trust the Lord? I mean, when it comes to an actual test, it's very easy for us to forget that God is our help and our shield. So we fail to trust him. We look round, we only see our problems. We forget to look back and remind ourselves of God's goodness and mercy to us in the past. I think it was Spurgeon who said that too often we write our blessings in the sand but engrave our trials in the marble. The blessings blow away, we tend to forget them but boy, we can certainly hang on to and remember our trials. If we're going through a difficult time, trust God. He's helped us before, he'll help us now. God doesn't change. God helps us, how should we respond? We should trust him. Third declaration, found in verses 12 to 16. God blesses us, our response, worship him. Again, think about it. 
If we trust the Lord, we're not going to be disappointed. Our God promises to bless, so be sure of this, he will bless. And these verses again mention the same groups found back in verses 9 to 11. And to me here, two blessings stand out. The first is the Lord remembers, could be translated as mindful of us. I find that amazingly reassuring. The Lord never forgets us. Even when to our shame, we can forget him. When God makes promises to his people, he always keeps them. The wonderful verse in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. All of God's thoughts towards us, his children, involve our blessings and ultimate happiness in Christ. We never have to fear what the future holds because God holds our future. Now this got me thinking because it seems today that we are living in the days of what we now call cancel culture. I'm certain you've heard about this, where some people seek to obliterate the memory of those who've been honoured in some way but whose past wrongs don't meet their people's standards so that should disqualify them from any honour so they want to cancel them. They're trying to rewrite history according to them. Do you know I give thanks that God has his own cancel culture? He writes our history, but he doesn't cancel us. He cancels our sins in Jesus. He forgets and forgives our sins in Jesus. Now I count that as a blessed cancel culture. The Lord remembers us. And the second blessing we find in verse 13 is this. Will those who bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike? Also very comforting. If we fear God and trust in him, he will remember us and work out his will in our lives. But remember, he'll also bless us when it's our turn to die. Again, think about it. You're sitting here this morning. You're trusting the Lord who's faithfully blessed you all through your life. How could he possibly abandon you when you die? In fact, the opposite is the case. God will be even closer to you there. The very next psalm, Psalm 116 says what? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The Lord remembers us. And then verse 14 goes on to state the special blessing that this Jewish nation wanted and needed. May the Lord make you increase, both you and your children. The nation desperately needed God's blessing to increase in numbers so they could re-establish their nation. But you know, this blessing also involves us because Israel's future also involves us. Our Saviour Jesus Christ was to be born in Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. If the nation failed, then God's plan of salvation would also fail as well. Verse 16 says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Now we could talk about all kinds of things about man has managed or mismanaged this earth. I don't want to go there. Something else really struck me as well. God has made us stewards of the material world. So we're responsible to him for what we do with it. 
Surely it's a tragic irony to think we use what he gave us to crucify Jesus Christ and not glorify him. God gave man the trees of the forest, the iron in the ground. He gave man the brains to make an axe from the iron to cut down a tree and fashion it into a cross. He gave man the ability to make a hammer and nails. When man had the cross and the hammer and the nails, the Lord Jesus allowed man to take hold of him and bring him to that cross. The Lord stretched out his hands on it and allowed man to nail him to that cross. And in so doing, praise the Lord, Jesus took the sins of mankind on himself and made it possible for those who had despised and rejected him to come to him because of his sacrifice for sin. And so now as Christians, we have the joy of sins removed, sins forgiven, the assurance of pardon and eternal life and the hope of glory with Jesus forever. So at the cross, Jesus remembered and blessed us, both great and small alike. God has blessed and blesses us mightily. How should we respond? Fear God. We should worship him. And then all this builds up, I think, as far as I can see it, to the very last declaration. You find this in the last two verses of this psalm. God is worthy. Praise him. God is worthy. How shall we respond? Praise. Praise. And more praise. Look at verse 17 there. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. This is not saying somehow denying life after death. Nor is it suggesting the dead exist in some silent realm where they're either dead or mute. Our psalmist is merely stating the obvious, dead people don't praise God on earth. A dead body in the grave can't give thanks, even though a Christian spirit in God's presence can worship him. The psalmist wanted to praise God before men while he had the opportunity. Isn't this surely what we want to do as well? You know, we should be appraising people. Let's be appraising people. The Lord's blessed us, so we will bless the Lord. That means we ascribe honour and glory to his name. And the psalm ends as it began with God's glory. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forever. What is God like? God's alive. Glorify him. God helps us. Trust him. God blesses us. Worship him. God is worthy. Praise him. And we better get used to praising the Lord now because we're going to be praising him forever in heaven. I'll quote Spurgeon once more. Though the dead cannot, and the wicked will not, and the careless do not, praise God. Yet we will shout, hallelujah, forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this victory psalm. Lord, I've read it so many times, I don't think I've really ever studied it properly. But how wonderful to understand and know more about what you are like. And yes, Lord, you are worthy of all our praise. I ask and pray, Lord, you'll help us to remove any idols in our lives or in our hearts that are coming between us and you. And help us, Lord, to, to worship you and to, and to praise you with hearts and minds turned fully to you. 
And we thank you for that wonderful salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and pray that we have been blessed by looking at it and hearing you speak to us. We pray this now for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.